As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Just, you know, 20 minutes of this podcast is about, uh, you know, how uh, Jan Hoos and... Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. And Wy- Wycliffe and, and uh, everyone else are getting short shrift. Just the well, this dumbass Augustinian monk. This fucking guy. Too much. Which, which is all I have to say about him. Like, this fucking I, guy, you know. I find him so interesting. Not that he is a um, good person or, um, you know, a partic- like, you know, the. I find him interesting, you know, just from like uh, how uh, how mad he got about how horny he was. Um Yeah just yeah. fucking like hated that shit and then he got you know and then he got married and then he was like oh okay well now you know and um you know and he was like he was like uh anti-capitalists in like his sentiment like he thought they were like exploiters and things like that um mm-hmm. and then you know when a bunch of peasants threw a rebellion to uh, be able to practice their own religion, he was like, whoa, whoa, guys, whoa, where'd you get these kind of ideas? Whoa. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> what completely. What happened? I didn't, I didn't realize anybody <laughs> was reading these things I was writing. Like, oh, yeah, man, God, love it. You're a dumbass. Fucking this. Also, he just fucking hated anyone. Like, He's like, no, 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 no. You can't start another new religion. It's just just mine. Mine is the only one. Mine's the only one. <laughs> that's the only one that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Nice. Yeah. Love this guy. Yeah. Oh, fucking hell, man. <clears throat> <sighs> All right, fucking, let's, let's talk. I guess we should talk about this guy. This, like, other than fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all right. We'll get there. We'll he's get a there. piece of shit. We'll figure it out. All right, <laughs> he's three. <laughs> he, he's a piece of shit. Leave this in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to We're Not So Different, 
a podcast about how we've always been idiots. My name is Luke, and I am an amateurish historian. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Dr. Eleanor Yanega, who is anything but. Um, and uh, so this time, we're doing our 10th installment on our series on historical materialism, uh, focusing on the years uh, about f- from about 1450 to 1550. Obviously, the years are a little fuzzy, you know, so don't, uh, don't quibble too much with it. Um, <laughs> however, even though it starts during this time period, uh, we, we will not be talking about the Age of Disco- Discovery or Columbus this episode, because we could simply couldn't fit it all in and we have so many awful things to say about columbus (laughs) what we will be discussing is is the end of the post-classical era or the medieval era uh, the printing press banking the renaissance and finally yes finally the reformation uh but first um well normally here we would have a question uh but we're going to get to our question of the day during the course of our episode so instead i'm just going to give a quick patreon plug and then move on you guys know the deal uh patreon.com slash wnsd pod five bucks a month uh you get bonus episodes you get to ask questions that we answer normally here but in this case slightly later in the episode uh the discord where we talk about uh, stuff and uh, you can post pictures of your pets or stuff you're working on or whatever um and uh yeah we try to have a good time in there um so yeah uh join the patreon it's fun um we're getting close to 200 uh patrons and that is awesome thank you whoop so whoop. much uh patrons and uh yeah so uh, please uh, join up, and uh, I think our next episode, uh, which will hopefully be next week, uh, is going to be uh, another one on sex because uh, you guys really love to talk and have questions about sex. And oh, um, horny! <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, as a certified sex haver myself, as someone who has a kid, uh, so I can prove it. You this know, guy fucks. Like, hey, you're, this hey, guy you're fucks. a nerdy virgin. I'm like, wait, I'm ner- I'm a nerd, but I have I can prove I've had sex at least one time. At least once. Um, <laughs> At least once. Uh, <laughs> wow, that was so dumb. I can't believe I actually said that out loud. Um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to talk about sex. Uh, maybe I won't talk about sex. Maybe it'll just be Eleanor talking and me it, uh, just doing the It's going to be, I'm going to derail <laughs> it and just go into a deep dive about a deep dive about today's like British Twitter character of the day uh, who told us all that he came in as a girlfriend twice last night. That's what, so, you know. Wait, what? <laughs> I mean, you know, good for him. Like, uh, you know, I got, uh, you know, good, good for him. Good. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like, I'm just saying, British Twitter has been wild today. Uh, oh man, so, yeah. wild, wilder than normal. Yeah, wilder yeah, than so normal. That's all. It's yeah. always, it's always great to wake up in America. I mean, America has problems, and unfortunately, <laughs> make them the problems of everyone else on the planet. However, um, England uh, is, um, you know. We learned it from watching you, Dad. Yeah. Um, so waking, <laughs> exactly. waking up here uh, in America is always fun because it's like when I'm laying in bed and I'm just scrolling through what was happening and, and you just see some uh, British uh, journalists like posting the most insane shit imaginable. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I couldn't make this stuff up, up if I tried. Like the woman who was like talking about how... Uh, she met Jelaine, Jelaine oh, yeah. Maxwell, and yeah. uh, Jelaine was like making out with her brother, who's the fucking prime minister. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it, that's right. Normal it, island, a normal country, it, a normal uh, country where, I can't, like, I'm, like the prime minister used to make out with the nonce, you know, trafficker, and also. This guy got so angry last night um, about not understanding a joke. 
that he told us all that he came twice, quote unquote, in a barmaid. So, you know, like a barmaid kept referring to her as a barmaid. Listen, no, no, no. We need to get this person on the show. (laughs) So this this time traveler from the Middle Ages uh, on Twitter somehow. We need to to get this. Spent all day just in group chats making fun of like, um, you know, spilling my seed in a comely wench, etc. Oh, my God. What? Never mind. I. I don't even want to know why you would say that. I have ideas, but uh, yeah. Somehow, even though we didn't have a question here, we uh, still uh, got off on a tangent, and that is, uh, you know, good that's, job, that's mate. The guarantee. That's the guarantee. It comes. It comes with the territory. So, um, <laughs> as we heavily <laughs> foreshadowed last episode, we are reaching the end of the Middle Ages, or uh, more globally speaking, post-classical era in our series on historical materialism. We've covered it extensively, so you know how this story goes. Uh, In 1453, the Ottoman Empire, armed with dozens of siege cannons, laid siege to Constantinople for the very last time. Constantinople being the last physical bastion of the Roman Empire left in the world. The Theodosian walls, which had withstood everything thrown at them for 10,000, or I'm sorry, wow, that would be way longer. Would that be for cool? For 1,040 <laughs> years, that would be cool if we, yeah. Uh, for 1,040 years, finally, at long last, gave up the ghost in the face of gunpowder, bombards, and encroaching modernity. And so with the fall of Constantinople comes the end of the Middle Ages, though it is by no means the end of the feudal mode of production or our series on historical materialism. On the contrary, despite uh, the severe crack in its foundation left by uh, the exogenous system shock of the Black Death, the feudal mode still has another eh, 350-ish years to go. Likewise, the show will continue following the historical trajectory described by historical materialism beyond the Middle Ages. We couldn't very well leave you adrift here at the beginning of the early modern period trying to drink from the fire hose of modernity that is the next 100 years uh, between 1450 and 1550. This is when we see the rise of modern forms of banking, including extensions of credit at increasingly usurious rates. Ooh, usury. Ooh, that's going to become important. The printing press goes from an expensive, unwieldy piece of new technology to... Well, it's still an expensive, unwieldy (laughs) piece of technology, but it becomes one of the prime movers of the future of humanity. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, The Renaissance begins. Uh, which some people say marks the end of the Middle Ages uh, or marks the shift from the Middle Ages to the early modern period in Europe, though uh, Eleanor would no, uh, da- will no doubt have uh, very strong opinions about that. Um, and I'm trying to tread lightly here so I don't get in trouble. And in Wittenberg, the Protestant Reformation was unknowingly initiated when a largely anonymous Augustinian monk named Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to a the door of a church, which was an altogether commonplace practice uh, for his uh, profession at the time. Uh, hell, we aren't even going to get to the age of discovery and the beginnings of European colonialism until next episode, because there's so much in this one. Capitalism isn't yet a reality, but all these things are the bones upon which it will be formed. Uh, now, we couldn't we couldn't very well uh, leave you stuck in 1453 just because that's when the medieval era ends and this is a medieval history podcast. Simply put, historical materialism transcends such periodizations used by historians and besides, we haven't even gotten to laugh at the Protestants yet. So, <laughs> Eleanor, 
We did a Patreon episode all about it, but can you briefly discuss the importance of the fall of Constantinople and uh, why it's important in our series uh, on historical materialism? Um, so, the fall of Constantinople is important because it signals a pretty big shift in Europe from, obviously, the Eastern Roman Empire existing to it not existing, and indeed, in what had up to that point been a majority Christian country and part of Christendom, uh, you then have a major Islamic territory. So, you know, the Ottomans absolutely lamau, like the, <laughs> the, uh, what's the very, like, last genesis mm. and bastion of um, the Roman Empire. Now, um, you know... I'm often talking about how I'm not so sure that Rome fell in the West, and that's not really how I see it, blah, blah, blah. I'm always going on mm -hmm. about it. But if what we say about the Middle Ages is that it starts because Western Rome, quote-unquote, falls, you know, it's a kind of like, if you want to be real neat about it, you can be like, well, mm -hmm. it ends when Eastern Rome falls. Like, when you don't have any more of a Roman Empire, then that's it. Um, you're kind of switching mm -hmm. over into modernity. But one of the reasons why I think it's important in terms of, like, the concept of modernity here is that it's also just a real power shift for, like, the Christian, like, well... Christendom mm -hmm. is how, how they see themselves, right? So the way that Europeans talk about themselves at the time is they're like, well, we're Christendom, we're the Christians versus everyone else. Mm -hmm. Suddenly you've got a lot more Islamic people right on their doorstep um, and you start to get more of a, a Muslim majority in Southeastern Europe. So, you know, like all into the Balkans, stuff like that, up into Hungary. And this is kind of like a pretty big shock to the system. Uh, mm -hmm. for, for Christians generally, because they're like, uh-oh, uh, you know, <laughs> how, how how has the, the lustful Turk um, breached the gates of Constantinople, <laughs> you know, etc. And, yeah. and the, so there's a lot of kind of like a gnashing and wailing about that. It does also have some knock-on effects for conceptions of modernity in that a lot of the Greek people who take off from Constantinople uh, bring books and stuff with them. Um, mm. And suddenly the Latinate West is like, oh, those are nice books. Can I have a look at them? I was too lazy to go over there and look at them. I could have looked at them literally at any point in time. <laughs> Diplomatic relations were constantly happening all throughout, you know, the Middle Ages. But I don't know. I didn't know you had this fine Plato volume. So you, you get a couple <laughs> of new classical texts, which everybody kind of like loses their shit about. Then that's kind of like exciting. Um, and there... That sort of stuff has a knock-on effect for scholasticism, which has a knock-on effect for the Renaissance, if you want to believe mm. in that, um, which I don't. But uh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. <laughs> so we're not going to go ahead. Uh, but so you, basically, it does start kind of like forming up what we start to recognize as a more modern world and kind of like the shape of how things are now. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, nobody woke up and was like, oh, shit, we were medieval and now we're modern. Mm -hmm. That's not how this works. Um, but you do start to see things taking a form as a result of Constantinople collapsing that we would be familiar with now, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, yeah. And so I guess that like technically, you know, uh, some people or, you know, some scholars will say that, uh, you know, uh, post-classical history or the medieval era lasts from like 500 to 1500. But, uh, you know, we've talked about how, you know, um, how we consider the fall of Constantinople to be the end of that era on the show. And I mean, you know, 
either way, I I don't really think it, uh, you know, I don't really think it matters very much because they're both ending during the time period we're talking about today. Um, but I mean, to me, I just, I kind of like to key it in my mind. It makes more sense to key it to like events yeah. than like just a date, you know, like, um, it's, you know, even though like 500 to 1500 gives you that nice thousand year round, uh, thing, you know, it's kind of like, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, that's a, sure, it's nice and round, and it's easy to remember mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but, like, as anyone else who lived through the long 90s knows, you know, Ooh, yeah. like, you have knock-on effects, and, and things aren't yeah. always, like, that that clear, so, yeah. yeah. Exactly, so, um, you know, it, this is, you know, this is when, uh, you know, we move from, from the medieval era to the early modern era, and, uh, just real quick, Eleanor, what are, you know, the big, like, uh, trends and, and factors? Like, what what marks out the early modern era from the medieval era? Just just broadly. Um, so you, you got your Protestants, right? right. Um, you've got, <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. Um, you got your lustful Turks. Um, yes. You've got um, the, uh, you've got the establishment of what we would call, like, state building. So you have Mm. more things start to come into play, like, instead of just being like, oh, hey, what's up? Here's a king and the guys he hangs out with. People will be like, oh, well, here's my secretary of the treasury and things like Mm. that. Um, Mm. You have, as a part of that, a rise of professionalized armies um, in, you know, Europe more generally. Um, So that changes things in terms of power dynamics between um, other rulers. Mm-hmm. Um, you have stuff like increased, I don't, like not really increased literacy because literacy rates still kind of remain very, like quite low, quite low. Mm-hmm. And it, it tends to be more, um, tied to living in cities than anything else really. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, if you're rich enough to do it, but having said that there's more kind of, uh, like vernacular literature around the joint that, um, one can enjoy, um, you know, you will start to see things like um, concepts of absolute monarchy spring up, stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So basically, interestingly, a lot of the things that we kind of tend to think of maybe perhaps incorrectly as being medieval in in character are actually kind of like more uh more early modern so stuff like um the uh inquisition in spain uh you'll Mm -hmm. you'll get your witch hunts around the shop uh things Mm -hmm. like that so like all of these kind of like interesting modern things crop up because um Mm -hmm. you know like when ferdinand and isabella reunite they they do the spanish reunification um or Mm -hmm. you know unification or the reconquista whatever you want to call it and they decide that they're just going to torture everyone who isn't a christian you know like that's Mm -hmm. um, a kind of very methodical and modern process you know it's like the consolidation Mm -hmm. of you know what we would see as being more of a nation state um and then linking that to um, a kind of specific ethno nationalism. Like these are these are modern questions, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. So yeah, um, basically the early modern period is a lot like the late medieval period, except that you have a lot more non Catholics around, um, and you've got a lot more state power, and people are a lot more into torturing. <laughs> like it's a lot of torture. It's weird. It's wild. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Torture. A lot of torture. <laughs> Lot, lot of torture. Early modern torture. Yeah, well, it's funny because everyone, Great. when they think about uh, torture, usually says the medieval period. I'm, now, I'm not telling you my boys didn't torture people. That's not what yeah. I'm saying. But like early modern people, Jesus, 
Love the spot of torture. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. Okay, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. slavery. So this... That's another one. Chattel slavery. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. gosh. How can I forget chattel yep. slavery? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Next, next next week. That's that's why, you know, that's one of the reasons we had to push the Age of Discovery off to next time because, you know, that's a that's a lot. That's it's a lot. lot. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, these are these are like the bones that are going to start forming capitalism. And, you know, the the one of the biggest ones, um, you know, possibly the, you know, one of the huge drivers for the rest of human history, you know, comes along in this time period. And is, of course, the uh, the printing press. Mm. It was invented shortly before uh, before this this time in uh, Gutenberg in 1444. Um, and this movable tire, not in Gutenberg, it was invented by Gutenberg, not in, uh, you're fine, babe. Don't uh, worry about it. <laughs> uh, the, 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 no, no, someone, no, someone, someone was going to say something about that and it would have annoyed the shit out of me because it's an easy thing, but thank you. Listen, uh, nerds. The, mov- <laughs> the movable type printing press revolutionized, uh, yeah, printing basically, um, uh, though its original reach was more limited than I think we give it credit for because of widespread illiteracy and cost, mm. but it did really start to, you know, trickle down and, you know, become a driver of ideas and and, and literacy and, uh, uh, and, you know, and, and religion and, mm. and mm. economics and everything else. So, uh, yeah, um, just, you know, what what are the the early Eleanor? What are the early impacts of the printing press? You know, obviously it wasn't like you know the day after the printing press was invented. <laughs> you know, suddenly fifty percent of the population was literate. But you know, mm. it starts getting out there in fits and starts. And then by the time uh, you know Martin Luther comes along, he you know. Yeah, for lack of a better term, weaponizes it, and you know that's a whole. Different that's a whole different. Thing. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I suppose in order to understand like what the impact of the printing press is, um, I need people to kind of think about what what was going down before the printing press, uh, because mm-hmm. so one of the things that makes the printing press possible, like oh, underrated um, uh, discovery, kind of a late medieval thing, is paper. Uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. there, there wasn't paper previous to this, um, and which is something we take for granted and we live surrounded by, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. so before this, all of everything that kind of gets written down for books and things like that is on parchment. Parchment is animal skin. Um, mm-hmm. So in order to write something down or make a page, you've got to kill an animal. You have to get all of the hair off of it. You've got to stretch that skin out. You have to like dry it. You have to cure it in particular ways. Okay. And then you've got mm-hmm. to like cut that. And then you have to handwrite, which is why is something is called a manuscript, right? Like, so man, yeah. like yeah. manu uh, from hand, manus, and, you know, script being writing. Um, and I literally had never put that together until today. There you go. You. There you go. See, we all love a bit of Latin, <laughs> don't we? Um, yep. So uh, it's, it, so it's like this incredibly intensive process. And one of the reasons why books are such um, an incredibly precious item and why they remain largely in the hands of the extremely wealthy, right? Because it's like the mm-hmm. amount of labor that just goes into creating these things um, is immense. Now, there are shortcuts around that, you know, um, where you can make cheaper, cheaper little books and stuff. You could hand copy something out yourself if you know how to write. But still, you know, knowing how to write and everything, again, 
collectivized into a, a really select group of individuals. And indeed, we see that even among, um, you know, the, the elite, so like noble women, for example, um, mm-hmm. they can often read, but they can't write on their own. So like mm. they'll kind of have like scribes who write for them and, and things like that. So, mm. you know, like this is a really kind of specialist skill sometimes um, hmm. th- that so sure if you are for example um, a member of a guild you can probably read and write because you have to like keep the books but not everybody can um, because it's just yeah. so so expensive anyway what the printing press does is because it's using paper which is much cheaper and you mm-hmm. even with you know an incredibly labor-intensive process like movable type if there's still like some guy moving things around mm-hmm. and it's a lot of work and there it's this huge heavy object but once you got everything you've got everything in place once you can just go again 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 mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. that allows you to distribute many copies of exactly the same thing um so yeah. that's wonderful and of course they fucking start with a bible because you know they're <laughs> they're christians and they love that shit Boo, yeah it was lame. like you I'm know i'm just kidding i'm just kidding but yeah. um i mean of course they're gonna start with the bible like yeah. duh like yeah i, I mean of yeah. course they are but and you know i i think i've done my rant before about how like prior to this you know other forms of mass communication do exist as sermons being one of them and it's a really effective mm-hmm. way of getting ideas out uh but this is another really effective way of getting ideas out obviously um in that we still use it all the yeah, time. and it doesn't it doesn't require like a specifically captive audience yeah. at a specific place in time because even though you did have sermons and you know as as you you've noted many times that was a form of mass uh, communication mm-hmm. at the time there you know was not recording equipment so like if you missed the sermon you you know you missed the the mass communication now people could come and tell you but you know that's kind of how it went out whereas with a book or many copies of a book you know mm. i can pass it on to you know i can pass it on to eleanor or can pass it on to her friend you yeah know, exactly and, and and that's how it works and and you can like write your own stuff you know it 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 it's no mass communication is no longer the sole province of the wealthy and or the church mm, mm. It, i mean that's what it seems like to me. Yeah, know, it's like it, I yeah. mean the church being wealthy, right? And because like one, of, yeah, 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 like yeah. one of the things that happens as a result of all of this is that you know this is why monks and guys like that are are the ones who are doing all the fucking writing, right? Because mm-hmm. since it's so um, labor intensive, you need to have carved out enough time to sit down and just write and and do yeah. nothing else. Um, so it has to be in places like monasteries, you know, where there is there are enough hours in the day to do that. And indeed, when you mm. conceptualize yourself as specifically doing work for God. So like when you're copying books out, it's like for the greater glory of God. Um, ad majorum de glorium. There you go. There's a, there's some more Latin for you. That's that's for you guys. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, it does mean that you can get kind of these alternative versions out there. Now, obviously... As I'm always saying, like, the church are not cops, right? Like, the church are not hiding under your bed, like, trying to, like, get rid of, you know, your book or whatever. However, there are occasions upon which that happens. You know, uh, the Albigensian crusade is real. You know, like, the the persecution of the good men and women of Languedoc. Um, you know, you'll mm. see some people like, um, you know, Abelard, uh, for example, Peter Abelard, who just nobody likes him because he's a dick. Um, and so he basically gets condemned, condemned as a heretic and forced to burn a bunch of his work. Right. So when, mm-hmm. you know, you've got when you've got the 
production of books concentrated in this one area where there is a lot of power, then that, that will skew things, obviously. Um, now, we still get heretical works that survive to us. It's like the church doesn't always do a great job of destroying everything. But the point is, if you can print things this fast, it's a lot easier to get ideas that are dissenting opinions out very, very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And it's actually interesting because, you know, I, would just, I, I suppose another thing that I would argue that happens in um, the early modern period is you get the church acting a lot more like cops than they previously <laughs> did in the medieval period. And so like, as it, you know, it's kind of like a war of, of, uh, you know, like attrition. So at, at basically, you know, the Protestants get quite bullshit. So the Catholics get quite bullshit. So you've got the reformation. So you've yeah. got the counter reformation. So you've got the, and you know, it's like, yeah. you know, just an arms race about who's going to be a bigger dick. And suddenly the church starts being way more of a dick than it was previously. And then we kind of go, oh, well, since the church are such dicks in this period previously, when they had more, like let, when their power mm. was questioned less, they must've had more power and like done more dick mm. things. And actually the answer is no, they were way chiller. <laughs> like, yeah. So that's funny. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is, but it is um, interesting and important um, in terms of kind of like uh, the rise of capitalism within this context, because it allows, again, for like the dissemination of things like, you know, the promulgation of laws, for mm-hmm. example, like getting law out um, and making sure that you've got like all of all of the things like in one place so the kings can like more effectively centralize rule. Um, it means that you can uh, actually have more of a trade in books and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it becomes its own industry in and of itself. Um, and it also means that you kind of have an increased uptake in like movement of books uh, back mm-hmm. and forth. So um, they are, there's a kind of, a, this sort of kicks off the movement away from books being an extraordinarily treasured object to an everyday one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. So um, unsurprisingly, the printing press, very big it's, it's deal. A, it's a big deal. Um, yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, it's, I, yeah, nothing, nothing else to say because uh, we will come back around to it shortly. Um, uh, another big thing that comes up in this period is modern banking. Mm-hmm. Um, though banks have existed since ancient times, their reappearance, or or rather, they existed in ancient times, mm. like uh, the Romans had, um, you know, places where you could store your uh, specie um, and probably your sword. I don't know, like an <laughs> ancient lock deposit box. Um, uh, but the reappearance of banks in the late Middle Ages and especially the early modern period uh, take on, you know, the modern form that we know today. So, uh, Eleanor, what what is the difference between, you know, like I said, like storing your gold coins and your sword or your gladius in, um, you know, in, in the bank of ancient Rome versus, you know, early modern banking in early modern Venice? Um, so... One of the big differences that you're going to have in, you know, Venice and in the early modern period is there is much more of an emphasis on banking with, yeah, debt, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Debt and lending at interest. So banks are not just like, oh, this is where it's not like the money bin, you know, like Mm -hmm. or whatever, which is sort of more like the Roman vibe. Um, Yeah, not a piggy bank. Yeah, exactly. It was was a piggy bank. And I don't don't mean to say, you know, like that, that, like, I mean, you know, they had banks. Yeah, they they definitely had banks. Cool, but it was a piggy bank. But so, you know, when you, when we see lending in ancient Rome, which is 
common, extraordinarily common, mm -hmm. but it tends to be from rich people to other rich people and uh, like mm -hmm. as individuals. So it'll be more like individuals conducting loans. Um, mm -hmm. So the difference is that when banks in this era kind of arise, then it's sort of like, well, we're guaranteeing the debt and where it's more of like the collectivized institution that we would expect to see now. Um, and this kind of comes out of like a communal approach to banking mm -hmm. um, at first. So towns, etc., will say... Okay, well, uh, interestingly, it's called like the mountain of debt, which I think is quite fun. It'll be like, uh, the, <laughs> so um, here's like this debt that uh, we will take on from people. Here's how they have to pay it back at interest. And they essentially sell, sell shares in that to, to mm -hmm. people. So it's like, okay, well, uh, we lend money out. We know that this interest is going to come back in. And then you can, as you know, a member of the city, like a citizen, you can then mm -hmm. like buy into that and like... Um, so, you know, that can either be that you can request loans or it can be that you want a share of that and you want to get some of the interest that comes back. So it's a lot more like what we would expect a bank now to do. Mm. Um, then mm. that kind because it kind of starts on a municipal level there, mm -hmm. um, that is not too far off from what we would expect kind of like a, a state bank to do now mm. um however you do also of course have uh, prominent families for example like the Dominici, um who mm. are like they're like now nah, we're we're our own goddamn bank you know like they're essentially yeah. loan sharks you know um and, yeah. and 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 we should be i should be clear the um like the medici bank opened like in the late 1300s so yeah. like you know they uh italy was on the cutting edge of, of the banking thing mm -hmm. even in the, at the end of the middle ages so you know just you know, putting that out there. Yeah, uh, like very, very, very much so. So it's, it, it makes sense that, you know, when you mm. see what the de Medici are doing, then, or Medici, I don't know. We'll, we'll just leave me alone, guys. You, you would know better than me. I don't me. speak, don't, it, I don't you know, speak like, Italian, okay? Um, like I'm like, day Medici, I'm going to start talking like I'm, uh, like, uh, what's this, uh, Brad Pitt in Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> I like 100% when I go to Italy, just like speak Spanish and like, Italianify the ends. I'm like, sorry, bro, it's not gonna happen. Um, yeah, I so I can do you Latin. I can do you Spanish. What do you want? Uh, so listen, they should be required to speak Latin there. I'm just. They no, should. I'm, yeah, I yeah, don't. Absolutely. I don't actually mean that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so yeah, it's like there are there are like large families like that who do it. And to be honest, you know the Italian city states and you know the Thessalocratic city states have always kind of been mm -hmm. involved in heavy trade. Um, you know, and back and forth, which is, and that's how you get plague people. Uh, yep. so, you know, it, so you don't, don't do, don't do banks. Don't do no, banks. Cause that's how you get the black death. All right. Yep. You heard it here first. Um, yes. so it, you know, it makes sense that it would kind of like come up out of this, uh, this particularized tradition and in this particular place. Mm -hmm. Now people were very excited about this because it also gave them a great opportunity to like be anti-Semitics. <laughs> Yeah, because they're, like, they're like, woo woo. Now we don't even need Jewish people, you know. And the, the, so the, you also see like tons of um, anti-Semitic violence in this period. Um, mm. But also, you know, like so, for example, Venice had a really extensive ghetto um, and and mm. a really a ton of Jewish people as well. So you know, the, it also makes sense that this is you know a place where lending would happen, right? Because right. when you're forcing all these people to do lending, then then yeah. Right. Obviously. So, right. Real, real quick before we go on, um, you, you're talking about the the role of Jewish people here. Yes. Um, they so um, 
what was the role of Jewish people as uh, money lenders in in Europe and, and a couple of other places mm-hmm. uh, before? And why why did the rise of modern banking kind of like start to push them out? Like what was yeah? That? So it, what so basically, um, you up and up until this point, um, you know, lending money at interest is a sin. That's usury, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, you, yes. You're not supposed to do it. Um, so Christians are not supposed to be lending money to other Christians. Uh, well, they're, they're not like basically, yeah. And like, um, you know, Muslims aren't supposed to be lending money, all these things. Now, uh, yeah, not not supposed to be lending it with at, interest. at interest. You can obviously lend yeah. people money. Because yeah. it's it's like, well, dude, why are you doing someone a favor and expecting something more in return? It's, it's mm-hmm. considered sinful, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It should be very clear that the Bible and the Quran are very explicit that usury is bad. Yeah. So um, you know, and just saying that out there. Just saying. And indeed, there's stuff about this in the Torah. However, yes, yes, yes. however, it says that Jewish people shouldn't lend money at interest to other Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. like to anyone generally. Right? Yes. So there was kind of this loophole there whereby Jewish people could lend money at interest. And as a result of this, they were often required to. So frequently, um, you know, for example, one of the things that happened here in England is after the Norman conquest, Jewish people were specifically invited in, in order to lend money at interest. Um, And, but as a result of that, they were also required to do that. They weren't allowed to have other jobs. Like, sure, you could be um, like the silversmith who makes menorahs for other Jewish people, but like you, you're not allowed to be a farmer. Right. Like they're not mm-hmm. going to let they're not mm-hmm. going to let you be a peasant. You have to live in cities. You do get some special things like you're only beholden to the king's law and not other things. So mm-hmm. so there there are some kind of good things about it. But really, this is how you get your anti-Semitic trope of um, Jewish people being like particularly greedy, um, which is ironic because it's like they're not greedy. They were literally made to do this. So, yeah, um, yeah it's like we're being greedy while you have your sword at our back telling us we yeah that we <laughs> that have if we to don't be, be greedy, greedy like you'll, you'll throw us out or kill yeah, us right. yeah right um so you do see um some jewish families make the jump over um so mm. some jewish lenders make the jump over to being uh banks within the early modern period that's certainly something that happens um but mm. also there are like some spurs to this which is like people are like woohoo finally um you know we'll we can be anti-semitic with our banking practices as well so like finally. so that's in there right um mm. and this this whole shenanigan is a bit mm. tied to um the age of exploration because one of the things that people are really lending money and interest about is like uh they will mm-hmm. lend for expeditions and things like that right so you know mm-hmm. um so columbus is stupid ass famously right he's the one who's like going around europe just like begging people to like finance his expedition which mm-hmm. will eventually find the new world quote unquote um and but you know you're also just kind of like seeing an increase in business lending more generally and it means that there are is just kind of like more commerce generally to go around Mm. um this will also have knock-on effects for example for like art patronage um which Mm. we will talk about more later but it just kind of like it it gets kind of cash flowing around the joint because people weren't going to lend money if they weren't going to get something out of it because everyone's a prick apparently yeah so yeah yeah so (laughs) Uh, you know, one more thing on banking before we move on. All of this um, increased money supply is 
uh, just increase monetization generally uh, eventually starts to lead to the adoption of a money economy. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I don't think we really need to spell it out, but the adoption of a money economy is one of the bedrock things that allows for capitalism to happen. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know that they, I don't need to know that there needs to be much more there except to say, I guess, you know, money economy is where, you know, you use money, uh, to uh to buy and sell and trade goods instead of you know the barter system and things like that and this is of course not to say that bartering um and stuff like that didn't exist after this it obviously did mm -hmm. and in some places you know existed you know well into you know the 1900s or even later so um you know just money economy starts to crop up here yep. and you know you can just start to see capitalism in the mirror sure just distantly just okay. there as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> so now, uh, now we're getting into the part uh, where Eleanor, the part of the podcast where Eleanor gets very uh, yelly, though for um, <laughs> uh, very justifiable reasons. Uh, the Renaissance, contrary to popular belief, the Renaissance, if it actually existed at all, was not a hard break from the past, but simply an extension of scientific, technological, and material advances that began in the late Middle Ages and continued through the early modern period Eleanor um, I, we've talked about it before but where does this incorrect view of the renaissance come from as just a strict break from the past where all of our idiot ancestors lived in the dark ages until the end of the middle ages when we suddenly miraculously um, came out of that <laughs> where, where does that come um, from? yeah it's an ad campaign uh, <laughs> so um, the, the renaissance chamber of commerce added again basically um so it comes kind of initially from this guy Giorgio Vasari um who wrote um this book the most excellent lives of the painters and sculptures 
Um, mm-hmm. And it, which is essentially like, it's our first work of art history, which is cool. Hmm. So that's good. We like that. But also what it is, is like a catalog being like, hey, you want to buy some art? And more specifically, mm-hmm. do you want to buy some art from Michelangelo? Um, my man, my good friend. Um, mm-hmm. So it kind of is doing a lot of heavy lifting in order to sell art to these people who are newly rich because of all the money that's flowing around. So it's like, mm. oh yeah, oh well, if one has taste, then one simply must have um, art that is in this new style. This new style mm. being like, um, you know, uh, I love to jack off about, um, you know, musculature and, um, you know... Interestingly, that style is still around yeah, today. Yeah, 100%. Oh. <laughs> like, it's... So there's, you know, basically, you've you've heard it all before. It's like, there's a lot more... You have um, people painting um, and things using uh, perspective. For example, you have a focus on naturalistic forms and kind of realism, um, which isn't... Um, it isn't considered to be such a big deal in the medieval period. Like that's not what people are going for. Um, now it's mm. interesting because like the term Renaissance itself, meaning like rebirth, what Vasari is selling here is he's saying, okay, well this is um, us rediscovering classical forms and we're doing the things that were a part of uh, Rome and anything Roman mm. is good. Um, now, of course people in the Italian city states have a real reason to sell you that, that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because um, they they're telling you that they liked it when they were in charge and everything was better when they were in charge. Wouldn't you all mm-hmm. agree, right? Um, unlike uh, the medieval period, which is bad, boo, and we, which like we don't like <laughs> because um, Italy doesn't get to boss everybody around. Um, and interestingly, part of this is a real kind of like anti-Holy Roman Empire sentiment. So they don't like the German speakers telling them what to do. Um, and who does? Really yeah, I know. Know. Right. Does? So, I mean, fair enough. You know, like as a check hard, hard agree, but you know, <laughs> like, uh, they, they're kind of advocating within this, the idea like, this is the one good art style, right. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're borrowing it from Rome and we, we've brought it back and we're, we're re we're reborn. We're like relearning all these <laughs> yeah. things. I find it interesting even to talk about it in terms of an artistic style, because I'm like, homie, Romans didn't have perspective in drawings like you invented that like pat on the back for you now did they make very good realistic sculptures yes but like I beg of you just like check out some like Roman Mm -hmm. frescoes sometime which are cool and I like them very much but they don't fucking have perspective in them right like it's really weird everyone acts like it's something that got lost it didn't it just didn't mm-hmm. exist yet you know it's like yeah. so, you know and again probably it wasn't a priority right like because that's just not what people cared about um yeah. but it's also interesting because what gets sold here like with this idea of the renaissance is like there's one form of art that is objectively good and everything else mm. is objectively bad and you can only like this and people really just like go oh yeah that's that's definitely true everything before oh, yeah. now fucking sucked um renaissance art yeah. is good medieval art sucks could nothing could be firm, further from the truth sorry my mans um <laughs> but then like this also kind of takes off with in terms of people going oh look at all these books that we found from constantinople as well like they've got a new couple of copies of plato and aristotle and stuff and that's that's very cool um and this gives rise to a a form of scholasticism called humanism and Mm. 
What's interesting about this is, again, people, like, jack off about this all the time and go, oh, yeah, like, they rediscovered classical texts. I'm like, the medieval period is nothing but reading classical texts. Oh, my God. They just, <laughs> all they do is argue about Aristotle. That's literally the only thing that happens. For the love of God. They, like, the in order to, like, read and write, you have to, like, start with Plato. It's ridiculous, you know. Um, so... Mm-hmm. It's just that they got more text. And now, hilariously, what, what I always like to bring up in this is that you, the way that um, handwriting changes over time, the medieval period, like there'll be different script styles um, that mm-hmm. come and go. So it's like, you know, you, you got your Gothic script. And there's also this one that was invented at the Carolingian Renaissance, uh, which we call mm-hmm. Carolingian minuscule. Um, and, you know, our boy Charlemagne, I think we've discussed before, he was like, we got to get more classical texts out in the world. Let's all go copy these babies. This is how we write. This is our form of writing. So hilariously, at the Renaissance, where they're like, oh, we're rediscovering classical texts. We want our handwriting to be like classical people's handwriting was. And so we're going to go back to the old texts, because previous to this, they're using a form of script called uh, batard or secretary hand, which is a real fucking mess, and I have to deal with it all the time, and it sucks. But um, they're like, this is not classic. We want to be classic. Ah, here, I found this, this Plato tome. Ah, how is the handwriting in this? Ah, this is how we will have our new script, humanist script. Homeboy, it's based on, on Carolingian minuscule, right? <laughs> so it's like from the ninth century. Like, it's not classical. It's yeah. medieval, right? And, and which just kind yeah. of like shows you like what if I can crock all of this is, right? Yeah. Having said that, one of the things that begins to happen in this period because of the humanist form of education is that, like, again, the same cities that are setting up banks are, like, setting up schools. So yes. before you would send, you would either educate your child privately or you'd send them to the church to be educated. And now it's like they will get a teacher in and, like, you can mm. send all the little boys there and then and they will learn. And everyone still kind of has to pay for it collectively. But, like, that's yeah. so. And they use these new texts and that's definitely something that happens. Um, yeah. But... So there are some new cool things, um, and, you know, you do start to see more, um, you know, work on um, natural things in this period. Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, it certainly existed in the medieval period. It's just that, like, it, this is all extended, and you, you get some more yeah. text and, you know, things like that. Um, so um, this is, like, this is why I get annoyed with the, the idea yeah. of the renaissance i'm just like i don't know rebirth of what homie like it, it makes way more sense as a continuation than it does as like a rebirth yeah. right um but this yeah. idea is very very much tied up with the concept of like the, the sort of capitalist mode of production because you know as i say it's like predicated on you know the art movement you've got to have these rich guys who are paying for art um you know mm. the traditional art um patrons before this are the church and uh, mm-hmm. kings, right? But now you also have, like, um, bankers and stuff who have a lot of money to throw around, and then they can get their own nice portrait made, right? So they, they can pay for some money. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. you have that uh, fueling it. You know, the, this idea of, like, education and, like, having to kind of educate children in this particular way mm-hmm. is also really linked to it. Because, like, please keep in mind that it's, like, they're not letting poor kids go to school, right? Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not like the peasants are going to school. It's, like, this is this yeah. is, like you know, the rise of the private school uh, and, yeah. you know, an educated merc- mercantile bourgeois class whose children yeah. have access to these things. Um, and there is a kind of like great emphasis within this on kind of like a 
exoticism and virtuosity and like collecting mm. and categorizing things um, that is really kind of latently tied up with uh, capitalist ways of thinking um, and kind of like the idea that one must collect all of these things and, you know, put mm. a price on them in order to give them a specific worth. Like it's got to have a monetary worth. Yeah. So um, all of that kind of crops up in this period and it's directly... Mm linked to these ideas that we have about the renaissance yeah yeah and i mean i think um you brought up humanism and i think it's a good point to illustrate you know that it was a continuation because uh petrarch um is considered uh, the uh, father of humanism mm-hmm. and uh, petrarch was decidedly um a medieval character or a medieval person not a character a medieval person rather um you know, he was born, um, in the late 1300s. So, uh, you know, it, it it just go, you know, it just goes to show you that a lot of this stuff, you know, it it really was, um, it it really was a carryover. And, uh, you know, obviously if you start getting ideas from these, these books that come over from Constantinople, well, those books, as Eleanor said, have been there the whole time. You just didn't really go over and take a look at them. So, you know, you could have kicked off this technical renaissance way earlier if, you know, you just moved your ass over. Yeah. You just, just visited the East for a year and, you know. Like, it was all back. there, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This uh, podcast is uh, firmly, uh, uh, we, we believe in a renaissance, but it is one that lasted for a long time um, and began in the Middle Ages or perhaps Eleanor doesn't but, yeah, that's how I think of, that's how I think about it anyway um you know you're probably free to do uh whatever you want <laughs> however you uh, want to think about that so we've talked about everything else now 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 we get to talk about the reformation boop, boop. protestantism was officially born in 1517 when Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of a church in Wittenberg as I said earlier, a very commonplace occurrence, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't know until, uh, yeah, I started doing this show. I thought that was a, like a lot of people, I think, uh, you know, thought it was a, uh, a big deal that he nailed those theses. It's like, no, that's just kind of, uh, what they it's did. It's a bulletin board. Yeah, that's just <laughs> academic discussion back in the day. Yeah. Just posting literal, <laughs> literal posting. posting um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, the original and would have been an all time poster. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, he would never not, log not an, off. Oh, no. no. Zero, zero log. Zero chance of him logging off. Uh, he's always posting through it. Uh, it does not matter. So, obviously, as we all know, uh, before 1517, uh, the Catholic Church zealously guarded the Bible and did not let any peasants see it. Eleanor is about to kill me. <laughs> I'm, I'm obviously joking. This is, this is uh, the genesis of our friendship. Do not yell at me. It yeah. is. It is. That that was the joke. And I'm glad. <laughs> it's just like Eleanor is like finding finding the, the end call button on Skype. Like this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Um, <laughs> Eleanor, uh, why, uh, why was this uh, somewhat uh, dubious... Um, uh, occurrence or, or at least common occurrence uh, why, why did uh, why did that start the reformation what what happened <laughs> i mean that like a great question so i mean in the first place like the church is a real soft target at this fucking point, yeah. right yeah. um so you know we we just got out of the three popes era you know uh which was which was <laughs> a questionable time um and like they'd already lost bohemia right like it was gone mm. so people could already see that it was possible to uh, like have an alternative version of christian faith 
take on the church and win, right? So we already yeah. have that. But um, the these kind of ideas had been cropping up more and more frequently. You know, throughout the medieval period, you basically have people calling the church corrupt and saying that it, it fucking mm-hmm. sucks um and and essentially you this comes in cycles so for example um the franciscans are uh, brought about in the in the 13th century as a kind of like reaction to you know what is perceived to be like the decadence of the church and its unholiness so mm-hmm. you know here comes saint francis to like uh tell us all to wear sackcloth and go preach to the people right um mm-hmm. but then like that will happen and then everybody gets rich again and then everyone gets pissed off again right so mm-hmm. um, you have groups, for example, like here in England, you have the Lollards who um, follow Wycliffe, uh, John Wycliffe, mm-hmm. not Wycliffe John, uh, but John Wycliffe uh, mm-hmm. out in Oxford. And they have a lot of kind of what you would recognize as, as like sort of um, uh, Protestant ideals. So they don't believe in in transubstantiation. They believe mm-hmm. in this thing called consubstantiation instead, where it's like um, the breadness and the divineness kind of sit side by side and exist at the same time. It's complex, right? Um, it's just, it's just representative people. Yeah, like yeah. So they're like, <laughs> but I, I know, I know, I know why they couldn't just say that. But I understand, but it always just fucking bought. Like it's representative people. Just do what you and want. It's, Think and about isn't that. Isn't that good I, enough? Like answer no. But um, no, no. So. <laughs> Um, and they also don't believe in uh, the authority of the church. They think the Pope is big corrupt man. Uh, the, you know, church is a True. fuck. Kill all Pope. True. Uh, you know, True. 1358 mm. or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, there is a lively correspondence with uh, several law alerts back and forth with the Hussites in uh, Bohemia. Mm. Um, we're not exactly sure how this happens. We think possibly because Anne of Bohemia is the queen over here at the time Hmm. um but you know you get a lot of stuff that gets sent back and forth and indeed what kicks stuff off initially for jan hus like in bohemia is the church is like you're gonna have to get rid of all your your wycliffe texts and he's like i don't think i I don't believe i will you know and um (laughs) so that like that kind of uh changes everything there as well and the hussites believe similar things to the wycliffes uh the wycliffeites slash lollards um, but, you know, again, you know, church, church is a fuck, um, all Bible in check, uh, you know, yeah. 1415, etc. Um, so there is a big emphasis here on lay literacy, lay literacy in the vernacular, like praying in the vernacular and just, you know, uh, let me say it one more time, the vernacular. So like moving, <laughs> moving away from Latin and into just everybody's uh, common language. Um that's right. Take that, church. What, how you like me now? How you like me now? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, um, and then the church killed him, uh, which was, uh, in retrospect, a bad move. Uh, but Not great. But, uh, Not great. No, it didn't work out. They took they took a huge L for that one. And then the crusade they started about it uh, didn't turn out very well yeah. either. Yeah. So, so, you know. Good job, guys. Absolutely get, <laughs> absolutely get fucked. Uh, we love to see yep. it. We love to see uh, checks posting their dubs. Um, so anyway, the point is, like, it it is, like, the, the scene is set. Like, everybody already knows you can kind of take on the church and win. Now, mm-hmm. the thing about Protestantism taking off is it's difficult to say, you know, like, all things uh, in the pay Like, I don't, you, you can never really speculate on people's faith, right? If they say that they feel mm-hmm. a particular way, 
then they feel a particular way. And I absolutely believe they do. Um, having mm. said that, um, you know, some of the first uh, converts to Protestantism, you know, are like from among like the Holy Roman Imperial electors. And like there's these there are these prince electors mm. and they're like, well, I'm a Protestant now. And now, hey, hey. Maybe Frederick the Wise just really did feel Protestantism. But also, there was a lot in it for them, mm-hmm. power-wise, right? Because that kind of undermines the position of the Holy Roman Emperor. Because the Holy Roman em- Emperor is, you know, conceived of as kind of like the temporal version of the Pope. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, you know, right. you, you elect him and all these things. But if you no longer have the whole Pope bit, then you don't have to have an Emperor. Right. And so that would yeah. mean that you don't have to like kick taxes to him. Like, I mean, and, and you, you can't you, you don't need the Holy Roman Emperor like pushing you around so much in here. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are the there are reasons why, you know, the, these guys may have converted to Protestantism other than, you know, just spiritual feeling. Although I do believe that there is some spiritual feeling there. And indeed, one certainly could understand why Protestantism would be popular um, mm. at the time. Um, so, you know, Luther has got, like, he's grabbed hold of the zeitgeist here. He's, like, taken it and run with it. And, I mean, the, another mm. reason why it kind of, like, this sort of kicks off here is that um, there are just more German speakers than there are English speakers or Czech speakers. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's that's cute what Wycliffe and like Huss are doing, but there's just not such a population that's speaking this much language. So you have the potentiality to be reaching a larger population when you're writing in German and talking in German because, mm-hmm. you know, there's just more people who speak it. And that's that's just how yeah. it goes with majority languages. Right. Um, so yeah. that it's easy for them, you know, to get their message out to just a whole ton of people all at mm-hmm. once. Um, and so that is why, one of the reasons why we kind of look at Lutheranism as being like this particular, like, uh, like a big turning point because it's just a lot more people, right? The Holy Roman Empire is Mm. the largest contiguous political group. And like, granted, they've already, they've already lost one of their most important kingdoms, Bohemia, to a form of Protestantism. So it's like, Mm. all right, well, let's do this time. This one's for the Germans, right? And, um, I would also argue that one of the reasons we put such, um, we put such an incredible premium on a Martin Luther is also just because um, MFers are lazy and they speak German, like, you know, English speakers and <laughs> like are willing to learn German, but they're not willing to learn Czech. And like, like this mm. is, and I'm telling you, this is just an academic fact is that people don't want to learn mm-hmm. Czech, and, which is something that I've really struggled with in my career. Um, so people are mm-hmm. like, I pretend I do not see it whenever you say that Bohemia yeah. exists, which is funny because all the documents are in Latin anyway. It's just secondary literature. Yeah. Fucking calm down, everybody. But, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. So there, there is a kind of like also like genuinely there's a kind of like um, academic laziness thing that goes on here yeah. as well, which is, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, yeah, I would uh, I would say that uh, that uh, Luther's importance is outsized 
uh, a lot because of uh, factors that were uh, obviously outside of him. Uh, you know, Jan Hus did not have um, a printing press. Um, you know, their stuff was was written. You know, so he couldn't uh, he he couldn't you know distribute his ideas and things that widely you know as widely as quickly as Luther can. But Luther could because yeah. Hus and Wycliffe um, didn't have a. Uh, um, a printing press. So, you know, whereas, um, uh, uh, you know, Luther does and he's, and, uh, he takes this and he, uh, he does the thing and he's like, look, I'm going to use this new thing. And whether he saw it as the wave of the future that it was, or just a helpful expedient to him at the time, um, you know, this, back and forth between Luther and various, you know, cardinals and people within the Catholic church in, in literature that people passed around and, and could and read or had read to them in stores and shops and stuff is a huge deal. And so, you know, that's one of these things, one, one of these little things that's going to, that, that comes into the, the reformation. And then the other, you know, is now that we don't have the Catholic or, uh, we, we don't have the Catholic restrictions on usury, then, uh, you know, Christians can get in, get really heavily into banking and stuff like that. And mm-hmm, that's, you know, mm-hmm. another thing that comes in right here and you get all this stuff and it allows, Lu- you know, Luther to just come in at this point. And I mean, you know, he, uh, he's one of these figures that kind of stands, um, astride history, but, doesn't like but he didn't know it and he didn't Mm, mm. perceive of himself as doing it that way so he wasn't he wasn't driving history like some other figures that we'll talk about later can and do for various reasons um so you know it's one of those things where it's like he's he's the guy he's the one that like protestants hold up and Mm -hmm. now there are so many protestants in the world you know and so that you know that's the thing so he becomes popular um but at the same time, you know, all of this stuff that we're talking about is just kind of getting thrown into a bowl and stirred around yeah. and it, you know, becomes this whole thing. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And 
That leads us to our question of the day, uh, which uh, comes from Dr. Zach. And if you're familiar with Protestantism and uh, historical materialism and all that, you might uh, know where this is going. Uh, This isn't exactly a medieval, Dr. Zach says, this isn't exactly a medieval question, but definitely related to the current series on historical materialism. What is your take on Max Weber's Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism? Did Protestantism really fuel the development of capitalism? So, uh, Eleanor, um, what is Weber's idea here on Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism? What is his okay. uh, thesis? So I'm going to be annoying, first of all, and be like, Weber. <laughs> what? You... Sorry. Sorry. No, oh, no chance. Oh, she's a, she's a German speaker. <laughs> Bitches, uh, like, after talking shit about uh, German speakers, uh, immediately does it. But um, I I quite rate um, Weber, uh, and actually I use um, some of his, his, like, sociological ideas in my own work. Um, this less so because um, it's not something that really comes up for me because I'm such a medieval bitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... The idea I also have bones to pick with yeah. this, though they are much less uh, academic um, <laughs> in nature. But yes. So, I mean, Sorry. I think that there is something to be said uh, for this idea. So um, it, it kind of one of the big things that it sort of hinges on. He, he looks at a lot of different uh, thinkers over the early modern period. Um, and in particular, Ben Franklin, uh, good old, good old pervy mm. Ben. Um, and he's got this one where the quote that he uses um, from Benjamin Franklin is this. Remember that time is money. He that can earn 10 shillings a day by labor and goes abroad or sits idle one half of the day, though he spends but sixpence during his diversion or idleness, ought not to reckon that the only expense he has really spent or rather thrown away five shillings besides. Remember that money is prolific. Uh, generating in nature. Money can beget money and its offspring can beget more and so on. Five shillings turns to six, uh, turned again into seven and threepence and so on until it becomes a hundred pounds, right? So you, you get, mm-hmm. you get, you, you've heard time is money, right? So yes. um, Weber's thing is that um, basically Protestantism has, at its, and more particularly Calvinism, it's not necessarily like a Protestantism writ large, but um, mm. the more austere forms of uh, uh, capitalism, is a kind of way of thinking about the world where it's, where there's kind of like a personal responsibility that is um, a, how one makes one's way in the world. So previous up into this point, like within Catholicism, it's like, well, to be spiritual, one has to retreat from the world, right? So all those monks Mm. who are busy copying in their scriptoriums, they're doing it because the idea was that they were going to leave the physical world, right? In order to contemplate Mm. God more directly. Um, You know, you do, again, have ideas of like apostolic poverty, things like that, where it's like, you know, you should be living this really austere life. You should be retreating from the world in Mm -hmm. order to contemplate spirituality. Protestantism doesn't require that and instead sees that um, Christians should be actively engaging with the world and actively working within the world in order to kind of bring about, um, you know, Mm -hmm. religious, a a religious state. Um, So basically... um, the idea is that like the effort that one puts in in order to like gain money is in itself a good thing because there's a real there's a real premium put on um effort within calvinism mm-hmm. and it's like oh this the the doingness of things um so this is what um 
this is what we you you will have heard of as the Protestant work ethic, right? Hmm. Um, so you know, basically, um, it, the, the idea is that well, the, these personal stressors and the emphasis on personal personal spirituality and uh, personal work um, is what allows capitalism to to come into being. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that there's a lot to be said for that. Um, I think that there is, there is kind of like, um, a, yeah, like there is a specific Protestant thing of kind of like tying the conception of like richness to, um, you know, worth. Prosperity. Yeah. Prosperity gospel. gospel, You know, what what is now called prosperity gospel. So it's like, okay, well you'll be rich if you're good. You're, you're good if you're rich. Right. Yep. Now I suppose having said this. Um, I'm, I don't know how far we can go with this because for example, yeah. it's like, well, explain the Medici, <laughs> right? the Medici yeah. are like out here yeah. doing this and they are highly Catholic. Thank you. Right. Yes. yes. Thank you. And yes. you know, um, like let us, let us look at our good friends, the Habsburgs who dominate much of Europe mm-hmm. in this time and then go conquer the new world and steal everybody gold again, Catholics, like, mm-hmm. you know, Catholics do this shit too. Um, Yep. Now, they might dress it up in slightly different clothes. And having yes. said that, I, I suppose that I have also, like, given you examples of people who are making money in, you know, almost like an idle way, right? Because it's like stealing gold from, mm-hmm. you know, people in South America or, you know, banking, right? But, I mean, so, so mm-hmm. is fucking Benjamin Franklin. Shut the fuck up. Like, he's not really yeah. working. He's got slaves, yeah. right? You know, um, yeah. fuck you. Uh, so, did Benjamin Franklin have slaves? I, I'll look. Yeah, it I don't know. Up. He, he might have. He might not have. Remember. Anyway, like he, even if he didn't, he uh, he sat by and, and allowed and, it to uh, happen. Allowed so. a constitution that uh, that enshrines. Yeah. So uh, to to hook. go. So either way, not great, Bob. Um. Now there are some other things that like uh, comes up in this discussion uh, that uh, that we also would be remiss not to bring up. So like one of them is that like well you have during this period uh, legislation against vagrancy um, and poverty um, and you know the, the enclosure system which we've talked about already right so you know mm-hmm. like this move away from like the commons um, and towards uh, individual ownership of lands um, so you know that that probably mm. does more to like um in- impoverished people or enrich people in england than like a, some form of protestantism mm. and it's like oh surprise surprise the rich continue to be fucking massively rich right and like a- yeah with that as well you know the thing about like you know yeah so you you have like the commons in the catholic era and you have enclosure in you know the modern era but i don't think that it it's like the Protestantism yeah. isn't what, you know, the, 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 we, we'd already like that horse had bolted, you know, we were already going for yes. closure here anyway. So that, that's not a real great way of looking at it. Um, yeah. I think that also, um, you know, so also we have more studies that show that like um, adopting Protestantism doesn't really affect economic growth in Germany in, in the years yeah. following the Reformation. It's like the rich people continue to be rich. It's like the same guy, like, mm. you know, Italy is still the one that's kind of like going balls to the wall with like economic growth. Um, mm-hmm. And again, Catholic, they're Catholic, ca- Catholic guys, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, sure. And, and to be fair, I've got time. Like, I'm a historian, right? You want to give it a couple hundred years. Yeah, I, yeah it's 
totally agree with you. Um, that is something that uh, can happen. Uh, but, you know, it's it's taken a while in order to get there. Um, yeah. And, you know, as we'd already said, like... And I actually think that one study studied all the way up to, like, the 1900s and, and still found that there was no marked or, you know, uh, correlate, uh, growth that was correlated in Germany to the Reformation. Mm. So just, just throwing that, yeah, that's just plugging that in. A very, there. very good point. Um, I mean, as we've already talked about as well, you know, all this shit was going down in Italy already. Like, you know, Venice is already, you know, lending money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the Medici already exists. Florence is already like starting to lend money and all this stuff like that. All, all the stuff that really fuels kind of like the rise of what we would, we would see as capitalism, like all the kind of banking stuff and speculation mm-hmm. that's already been going on years and years and years and years before that. Um, and you see it get picked up by places that will become Protestant, right? So, you know, it, it mm. it's big in the lowlands, for example. So like Amsterdam yeah. is trying to be Venice, um, Amsterdam very, very rich anyway, you know, and then London's trying to be like Amsterdam because uh, that's just how the North Sea works. Mm. Um, but, you know, you already have, like, for example, um, the Hanseatic League of, you know, city states in the mm-hmm. North Sea who are doing this kind of like, um, you know, trading deals and, and based on wool um, in, you know, mm-hmm. even in the 14th century and 15th century. So, you know, you don't again, you don't you don't need that necessarily. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, like, I mean, I just think that you have like, don't get me wrong. So Adam Smith, a guy who says all this bullshit that I that I hate and disagree with. Right. But mm-hmm. capitalism, just because he kind of like coined the term of capitalism doesn't mean that we, we yeah. were already like seeing these things take root. Uh, at, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I suppose what I will say is that many of the most Protestant countries are many of the most capitalist countries in this era. And they mm-hmm. do real dick bag things, you know, like America yep. and, you know, here <laughs> in Britain yes. and like, yeah, you know, the Germans and the Dutch and, you know, all like horrible, horrible things get fucking done mm-hmm. um, as a result of like colonialism and, and you know, the, the form of capital that that they bring about yeah um but i just don't think that it's quite that neat um and indeed i think that like actually maybe it corresponds a little bit more to cold weather countries versus hot weather countries right because it's like uh, a lot more of the hot Hmm. weather countries they're like staying a bit they're staying catholic right and you know sure they're Mm -hmm. they're doing they're doing terrible colonialism and all these bad things too like they, they don't end up as rich in the end but like and maybe they're not quote unquote like working like Protestants are, but like that's because it's mm. hot, homie. Like, wait, 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 <laughs> why? Like nobody, you go out, you can't go out there in that heat and do that. Like you must have your mm-hmm. siesta, right? Or you're gonna fall down dead. Yeah. Calm down. But and and you know yeah. like Spain, I would argue, is like collapse as a power has more to do with the fact that like Charles V was running a much too large empire and couldn't really keep Spain mm-hmm. and the Holy Roman Empire going at the same time and bled. Spain dry in order to facilitate everything that was going on during like his, you know, feuds with the Protestants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I don't really think that that's like a Catholicism thing. Right. I just think it's like, mm-hmm. it's just how things shook out. Um, but yeah. I really like Weber and I like his ideas of meaning in particular. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, and he's much smarter than I'll ever be. I just think that it's a little too easy Having said yeah. that, I think that we almost believe in it so much now that it's become true. If that yeah, makes sense. I can see that. Yeah. I 
So my thing about this, and I mean, this is all I know uh, specifically of, of uh, Weber. So, um, you know, I can't speak to his other stuff. And I mean, you know, far probably, you know, far more intelligent than, than I am and, and a more eloquent writer for sure. But I, I, have, I, I just have issues with this. As you said, it's too neat. I think it, it just tries to put way too much of a bow onto mm-hmm. things. Like Now, I will say this. Protestant work ethic is very, very real. Um, and having grown up Protestant, uh, my wife did as well. It's something that, you know, we both recognize and see, you know, it's mm. like, I feel bad if I'm not working on yeah. something. I feel bad if I'm not doing something. And when I'm relaxing, I feel bad because, you know, I should be doing something that helps the family or I should be doing something that makes my, you know, it, uh, Protestant work ethic is a real thing it's a noxious thing and it sucks um you know it's very real not saying that's not true and obviously the stuff about usury and the increase the the influx of protestants and christians specifically into banking is a real Mm -hmm, thing mm -hmm. but my issues are as you said this banking speculation uh, resource exploitation and all these sorts of things are already happening in uh, in Venice and um, and and in other parts of Europe before um, Protestantism becomes a thing. And uh, you know, people make a big deal about the whole usury thing, and and I'm sure that was an issue for very many Christians back then. But at the same time. You have the De Medici's. Mm-hmm. You have uh, uh, I refuse to, to call him by you know his his fancy name uh, Jacob Fugger. Um, <laughs> Get his ass. I refuse to say Jacob Fugger. Uh, no, uh, you have guys like that. They were Catholics. Fugger was such was like to the point where he would not famously would not lend to Protestants because he believed that they were heretics. Um, but you know he didn't have any problem amounting probably the the largest smog-esque wealth pile in the history of the (laughs) world uh over the broken backs of you know tens of thousands probably millions of people um you know the de medici's are the same thing like i'm sure christians like generally in their day-to-day lives probably did have an issue and would be like i can't go into banking because of usury but the idea that this was something that it was like uh uh uh, unheard of mm-hmm. before that is demonstrably false in my eye, in my um, uh, non-expert eyes. And his over-reliance on Adam Smith is, is I mean, it, it's ridiculous. Adam Smith wasn't born until the 1700s. He didn't die until, it was he died in like 1790. Like capitalism was a thing way before that, like way, way, way yeah. before that. He just, as Eleanor said, came up with the name and uh, you know, as Eleanor mentioned, Charles V ruled Spain. Spain was the Spain and Portugal, but which were both Catholic. So it serves the point regardless, mm-hmm. were the ones that started colonialism. They're the ones that started it. They're the ones that started the, the transatlantic slave trade. I'm not saying that this is some original sin thing and they're all damned for eternity. <laughs> but what I am saying is that they were fucking Catholics. The Holy Roman Empire, when it was still Catholic, was led by Charles V, who allowed, encouraged, and paid for this stuff to go on, like resource exploitation, colonialism, slaves, things like that. Like, 
it's very hard for me to look at all of that and then be like, oh, yeah, but like, you know, pro- you know, Protestants, um, you know, look, I, I was raised Protestant. Mm-hmm. I'm now an atheist. I have no truck with people mocking Protestants. They suck for the Protestantism generally sucks, you know, and Protestants are a lot of times, uh, in my opinion, not really upholding the ideals of Christianity yeah, very yeah. well. But that's a lot of modern stuff and just being like, yeah, well, because now we have all these guys talking about prosperity gospel and that sucks because like it leads people, you know, into a wrong thinking. And I mean, it is, in my opinion, if you if you want to follow the Bible, it's also not really what the Bible says. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, my uh, I do have a a minor in uh, religious studies uh, from undergrad, which is humorous uh, for reasons to me uh, nowadays. So I guess we could talk about that if you really wanted specifics on on the Bible. But um, it, it it just it almost seems to me that capitalism uh that capitalism and protestantism go hand in hand so much because uh basically it started in amsterdam and then it was taken into london and both of those places are protestant so they are intertwined like that if you don't you i mean we would have a different if you know if england had been catholic mm. or something like mm. that we would have a different form of modern uh c- capitalism to be sure but or, you know, we may have already moved out of that mode by now, but you... Eh. I mean, I guess I also you, feel... You disagree? <laughs> like, just, just, uh, sorry to, I mean, sorry to, by, like, by all break means, in. No. But I also just feel like... Why, why, no, why would you be sorry? You're, you're the one that knows stuff here. I'm just like, yeah. I, I, I agree. See, I agree. Because yeah. my other thing is that I just feel like the C of E are, like, the most Catholic-ass Protestants there are anyway. Yes, like it, it's like yes. we're gonna keep we're gonna keep all the Catholic shit. It's just that like we're gonna we're it's just the king instead of the yeah. pope. That's literally it. Like yes. so, I mean, yeah. I, you know, I just don't see them as, as so Protestant. Yeah. But it, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, I guess that's why they are tied hand in hand. And I mean, after that, you know, that uh, the um, you know, it it, uh, it allowed. England and, and Scotland and, and their relationship in Ireland as well, you know, allowed uh, for different forms of Protestantism to to happen. You know, uh, Presbyterianism in Scotland uh, obviously is a huge, huge thing. Um, and, uh, you know, so so that all happens. And, and to me, that's how you kind of get Protestantism and capitalism infused together because when the English were exporting capitalism at the barrel of a gun, they were also exporting a form of Protestantism or at least not enforcing Catholicism. So if you have that leeway and you're like, oh, yeah, we don't have to practice one thing. Well, that's kind of how you get America, isn't it? Hmm. That's my that's my opinion on it. Uh, but regardless, um, whether uh, Weber's overall point is 100% correct or not, um, it doesn't necessarily conflict with historical materialism. Um, uh, Web Weber, I'm sorry, Weber was not a Marxist by any means. Uh, was in fact uh, apparently a very dyed-in-the-wool capitalist, as far as I can tell, or at least supporter of capitalism generally. Um, but he believed the theories could coexist um, and said that, you know, it's not like a, th- this isn't meant to be like a total, um, you know, open and shut case that, you know, that, that this happened. And, you know, he even said that, that you could easily fit his idea of, from Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism into 
the study of historical materialism. So if it is something you believe in, you are a Christian, I, um, uh, you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, regardless, um, you know, I don't think that those two things, that these two things are mutually exclusive and they can, you know, because he's not saying that uh, Martin Luther specifically on a divine path from God instituted capitalism. He's saying that these factors contributed together and the factors of things like Protestant work ethic, usurious practices, economic gain, et cetera, et cetera, all form together uh, to allow Protestantism and thus and capitalism as well to to thrive simultaneously. And I mean that is a historical that is a materialist reading of the idea, as far as you know, in my opinion. Mm. Even though I think it is not a not a not a necessarily overall correct one, it's still materialist to me. Yeah, 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 like yeah. To me, it's not. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that um, you know, it's pretty much going to do it for this episode. Uh, Dr. Zach, thank you uh, for that question question that we could use right here. Um, We will obviously be returning to Protestantism and capitalism and all that uh, because, yeah, we uh, get to talk about the 30 Years War and Westphalian sovereignty and all that sort of shit uh, in a couple of episodes. Uh, But before we go, real quick, uh, you know, we've been keeping track of technology and innovations. Uh, and during this time period, we get uh, the Mariner's Astrolabe, which is used for navigation. Uh, the uh, rifle, which, uh, you know, would come to uh, play a big part in world history, surprisingly. Uh, the naval mine, uh, coil springs in Europe, and the caravel. And uh, it, <laughs> we'll leave that there. Uh, tune in next week when the caravel becomes extremely, extremely, extremely important to our story and to uh, exporting capitalism. Um, and colonialism and slavery and genocide. Whew, leaving this one on a, on a positive <laughs> note. Um, anyway, thank you very much for listening to our show. As I said, next time we're going to come back and talk about colonialism and all that awful shit. But uh, yeah, we will uh, try, endeavor to uh, not have it all be awful uh, as we continue talking about the transition from uh, the feudal mode into the capitalist mode. Um, in the meantime, Eleanor, where can the good people uh, find your good You content? can find my good content um, at going-medieval.com. You can also uh, check me out on Twitter where I'm tweeting about uh, guys who said they came twice inside a barmaid um, at going medieval. Um, and uh, you can buy my comic book, The Middle Ages, A Graphic History, please. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, and uh, my name is Luke. You can find me on Twitter at Luke is Amazing. Uh, you can find my other podcasts about Star Wars it's called A People's History of the Old Republic. You can find it uh, probably wherever you're listening to this right now if you'd like. Uh, yeah, and just on Twitter, uh, yeah, probably posting tweets that I delete immediately because they get on my nerves. Um, and then occasionally posting ones that I don't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just dumb memes that I make, whatever pops into my head. So yeah. Uh, Anyway, thank you again so much for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye.